Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Before this episode begins, I want to personally invite you to become a socio. It means member, shareholder. It means you join us. Every month, we produce one exclusive big interview and a documentary special all for our socios. Sign up now at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. And you'll not only get this month's shows, but also unlock our entire beautiful archive. The latest interview is with Roberto Di Matteo, and this month's documentary is titled Pep Talk, where we delve into Pep Guardiola's developing and interesting relationship with the British media. Go to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter to become one of our growing and much-loved army of socios. Welcome to another big inside view. Today we're talking about Barca. I think the one that we want to look at today is really the evolution of Barca's midfield. And Graham, I'm always really excited when we talk about Barca's midfield. Anytime, obviously, we refer to Sergio Roberto, I get highly excited. I get almost as excited talking about Ivan Rakitic. And I guess he's probably going to be more of our focus today because you've seen things that have been developing in his game, developing in Barca's style of play, which has been really exciting you over recent months, but also leading into last night's 5-0 win over Betis. You're right. There's a phrase in the film that we've made of the book that you made me publish. There's a phrase there where Chabi talks about a central idea of what a Barcelona, a Cruyff-inspired, Guardiola-inspired Barca midfield is for. And he uses the phrase about each coach comes and develops it. He talks about matithes, little details. And as you're listening to it, if you're not a crown prince of football, as I'm not, um, you're like, whoa, hold on a second. What do you mean? If you reach perfection in a system, then surely the only thing you need to do is keep replacing the parts identically. You know, if a piston wears out, replace it with a piston. Don't think about replacing it with um, a cog. And I think that we've seen since the Guardiola era ended, we've seen various different attempts to either um, do what I thought was the natural thing, which is keep a similar system, just replace it with almost identical moving parts. And that's had more or less success until the point whereby they were trying to run... um, a Ferrari engine on uh, Volvo parts. Um, by which I mean that over the last couple of years, it's particularly in the last year and a half of Luis Enrique's reign, it looked very clear that Barca didn't have the ball control or the athleticism to run a successful high-level three-man midfield because either the passing and the pressing and the recuperation of the ball has to be perfect from the front three to the middle three, winning the ball back high, the front three predominantly, pressing him behind in the midfield. But then 
what do you do with the ball? If you give the ball away and you're stretched, you're running all over the place and two of your midfielders are 32, 31, 32-year-old injury-prone Iniesta and Sergio Busquets, who Chavi jokes <clears throat> to his face, I can still run faster than you know I'm 36. Then that idea doesn't hold. But then if you go back to Chavi and his phrase in the film about slight developments... There's been a really drastic development um, this season under Valverde. And it seems to be the prime reason behind perhaps the extraordinary form of Leo Messi, who's had better half seasons in his long career at Barcelona, but only three or four. But if you take Messi aside as an extraterrestrial and you ask what's happening system-wise and maybe what's happening system-wise that's allowing Messi to flourish, it's the midfield. It's the midfield a thousand percent. And, I like the way you set that up in that for quite some time with the arrival of Paulinho and the idea of starting with four in midfield and letting Messi drop back into midfield and one or other of the wingbacks coming up, you you could quite regularly have six players in midfield and in terms of their work level and who they press and, and when they press and what they do with the ball, it hasn't simply just been a cluster of bodies. It's been um, a better ability to win the ball back better positionally, harder for other teams to bypass them, something of a task for PK and Umtiti or latterly for Malin to judge and Stegen to judge and to race on to long balls, through balls over the top because there are spaces in behind. But by and large, the system has functioned really, really well. And Paulinho got a lot of the focus, Martin, I guess because he scored goals. He, he carried unfairly a bad reputation from having had an unsuccessful time. I think, in particular, under Vilas Boas at, at Spurs, people thought Paulinho at that age, with his past in, in London and um, maybe not having the most wonderful technical control of the football, that's a, a bad move. And, and he's taken the eye of the spotlight because his connection with Messi has been very, very good, almost as if they've been playing together since they were kids. Each of them knows what the other's going to be doing pretty much automatically. And that's something that the majority of players can manage after two, three seasons working with them. Some of them just outright give up. They cannot think at his level. Paulinho can. So I, I understand why Paulinho has been the central part of the, the focus until now. But over recent weeks, and, and you named it, I think several things about Ivan Rakitic have been not only fundamental, but really, really interesting. They've gripped my attention anyway. So, for example, let's take let's have a brief description of uh, what was Sunday night's game where Barca go to Betis. Um, okay, they haven't lost there since 2008, but of the six games since 2008, three have been draws. It was perfectly feasible looking at Betis having recuperated Ruben Castro, their all-time, you know, their, their, or their most prolific scorer of modern times, um, having beaten Sevilla and put five past them away from home in the derby. There was a case to say um, that with Iniesta out, Dembele out, Umtiti not fully fit and therefore, well, not fully matched up, therefore on the bench. There was a way in which you could say Alcacer not available. Well, there's at least a sniff here. It's a it's a hostile place. They will have the record crowd. There's a possibility. And Kiki Setien, their Cruyff-inspired coach, plays a brand of football, which is Barca Junior. And what happens that's really, really um, interesting, and it, and it echoes things in recent weeks, is that when Barca, um, they, they line up what looks like a 4-4-2, so that um, 
in the midfield, it's it's Suarez and Messi up front. And in the midfield, there's Roberto, there's uh, Busquets, um, there's Andre Gomez, and there's Rakitic. But when they uh, have the ball, it's a clear four-two-three-one, uh, and it's what they call here double pivote. I guess everybody listening, I think everybody listening probably knows the concept of pivote, but as I've been taught it, it, it's a basketball term. So that the guy in the middle of the court, who's the controller, traffic controller, defensively, offensively, changes the pace, the tempo, needs to be positionally brilliant. And that pivote idea has been introduced into Spanish football so that you don't have to use the... What I find increasingly is the horrible um, phrase that English football uses because they don't have enough development of terminology. They called it the holding midfielder. You hold off the opposition, but if the ball comes to you, you don't know what to do offensively. It's rubbish. So in English, I often try to use the word organising midfielder. But in, in, the, in the Cruyff culture, um, in the Guardiola culture, the idea of a double pivot, two pivots in the one team, was vomit-making to most people. It was just anathema. Prohibited. In fact, if you go back to 2010, when... Um, Sergio Busquets was at his absolute peak and uh, Vicente Del Bosque paired him in the World Cup um, in South Africa with Xavi Alonso. And particularly when they lost the first game against Switzerland, the Barca players tried to gang up on Del Bosque and say, we don't need two pivotes. The better one is Busquets, drop Alonso. We've shown at Barca that what you need is one holding, organising, pivote, call it what you want, really, midfielder, and to a left midfielder and a right midfielder who, who sprint off him, go up and down, but who are the can openers, the ones who um, make space, who help the pressing, and, and who create assists. Dabowski said no, and there was a general furore in Spain because this idea of a two-pivote was held to be a defensive idea. So last night... Um, what Valverde took advantage of, and um, we're recording on the Monday, is something that he's seen in recent weeks. And you can go back to the last game of the Champions League where um, Busquets isn't played and Rakitic plays in a three-man midfield and it's he is the pivote. And from that day to this, Martin, I honestly believe that, that football clubs and, and football directors and transfer market men must be fuming about the unfairness of Barcelona not, having only, not only having Busquets but also having Rakitic, who is almost a perfect facsimile of Busquets. Not that he can occupy a central role, but that his positioning, his interception, his timing, his efficacy with the ball, his subtlety, um, his brains, his vision, they're, at le- they're as close to Busquets as you could possibly imagine there being in any of the top three leagues. And he's in the same flipping club. So... Um, on a number of occasions, particularly, for example, Deportivo La Coruña, which is the week before the Clásico, Busquets was on four yellow cards, one more yellow and he misses the Clásico. Busquets is rested at home to Deportivo La Coruña. Barca play one of their very best games of the season, win 4-0 and Rakitic is sublime. Now, if you skip on to the Clásico, sticking to the Rakitic theme, one of the reasons I think that Kovacic was the risk that Zidane took was not simple out and out out man-marking of Messi. It was Kovacic's um, duty to try and shackle Messi, to patrol him. But it was to try and double up because uh, Zidane knew that Rakitic was going to play closer to Busquets, not the out-and-out right midfielder in a three that we've been used to, or even the right midfielder in a four. Offensively, Rakitic has been known for his runs, his ability to create goals, score goals, his ability to press high. He was an offensive right midfielder. 
uh, Zidane knew, having watched the previous weeks, that um, it was likely that there would be this double pivoti idea and that instead of it being a defensive idea um, that so many Spaniards find repulsive, but it would be, do you know what I mean? Like, what's the phrase about um, the whole being greater than the sum of the parts? You put Busquets and Rakitic together and instead of it being a clash, instead of them getting in each other's, other's way, it's like double the power, double and a half the power. You remember how fascinated we all were with that moment in the Clasico when Barcelona are in a, 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 maybe a slight ascendancy, but they've got through to the early part of the first half. It's still nil-nil. There's been an interchange of chances. Busquets is being pressed by Tony Cruz. And right next to him, if you go back and look at the tapes, people, right next to him, Rakitic is not outright wide. He's standing, he's like a double pivote with Busquets. Cruz is right up. Um, Busquets' backside Busquets does this footballer on ice pirouette and hold and turn and move and show the German one way and turns and Rakitic wakes up and sees that what Busquets wants to do is swivel round um, about maybe 160 degrees and then send a pass in between Cruz and Modric Rakitic sees it first before Modric and sets off on a run Busquets finds him Modric is slow to react, can't keep up, and Rakitic will push forward, send the ball right to on the edge of the box to Sergio Roberto who'll cross for the first goal. Bingo. Clasco's broken. It's it's that ability to have two thinking, organising, bright footballers, but one of them has got a run in him, which Busquets doesn't. And I think that's a central piece of credit for Ernesto Valverde for the way in which he's identified that you can partner these two and suddenly you get more out of Ivan Rakitic than, than anybody thought was imaginable. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com I mean, give us a little insight into uh, Rakitic's character because he's always struck me as someone who does a lot of things very, very, very well. Um, But he's obviously got a level of game intelligence and and adaptability which, you know, fits perfectly uh, with that club and with that team. I mean, we've seen it in in the past with, you know, guys like Mascherano who have this incredible ability to adapt to new roles and new positions and He's obviously a guy, Rakitic, who can, you know, take take in information uh, and and adapt his game and, and do it well. I mean, that is a that's a huge skill in itself, over and above natural talent. I buy I buy that a thousand percent from my meetings with him, um, which I've now had several, um, some social, some professional. The first thing to say is that he's he's a pretty extraordinary mix in that. Um, across the Balkans in general, but let's take Croatia now as an individual unit. They have a, a history of producing um, creative, visionary, explosive, exciting footballers. It, it, it feels like it's kind of in their nature. Able to dominate the ball, able to take risks, whether it's you know from a defensive basis or whether it's a creative basis or a scoring basis. And there's no question that Rakitic has that. Combative, um, an eye for a pass, technically gifted. Um, in terms of scoring, you just need to look at 
last season um, from midfield eight, the season before that from midfield in La Liga seven, the season before that um, from midfield in the Primera División for Barcelona, 12. So he's an eye for a goal too. He has all the things that you would identify as being elite Croatian footballer, but he's semi-Swiss, born and brought up in Switzerland, played his first football in Switzerland, and, and people can mock this if they want, but it's a fact if you have an injection, an unfortunate injection of Swiss culture, in my view, then what you have is discipline, order. You want to see um, professionalism. And Rakitic is a model professional. Absolutely um, pinpoint accurate in everything that he does. Timekeeping, um, diet, his weight, um, his intensity in training every day. His No way does his appetite um, for game-by-game game victory or trophies dull. Um, when he came to Barcelona first, I interviewed him and he talked about, I lifted the baby cup. I lifted the Europa League as captain of Sevilla um, last season. Now I want to get the big brother. I'm here specifically to win the Champions League. And he did, and he scores in the final. Um, he has proved to be an extraordinarily good signing because he's somebody who's seen the outright passion of football in Sevilla where the demands are high, where the fans love you or hate you. And he's become one of the modern legends of that club. And then come to Barcelona and brought all of these elements together in a way that you were describing. He can do a number of things very, very well indeed. And he's also dead set on staying. I had a chat with one of his representatives the other day. He knows that there are constant rumours about Manchester City, about Tottenham Hotspur. And his point of view, Rakitic's point of view, not not the not his representative, is 1,000%. Why on earth would I go anywhere? Happy here, family happy here, well paid, just been given a new contract, consistently win trophies. I'm a central part of the team. What the hell would I want to do moving? Until I'm kicked out, I'm staying. Now, that's quite a powerful motivation to do well. You You make your bed. And you know where you're going to be lying. And it's, a, and it's a football club, Barcelona. Where I think it's really, really impressive is that since he's been asked to drift in and out of this position, this pivoti position, whether on his own or next to Busquets, he's expanded his game. That patience about only making those forward runs, which are an inherent part of his nature. You supply me with another name, but when I, uh, when I was growing up, the guy who I thought was had it dominated perfectly was David Platt. Um, whether it be, you know, for Villa or Arsenal subsequently or or England at Sampdoria, had this outstanding timing at the edge of the box. And it's almost an innate knowledge of of, of what to do and when and when a situation is going to unfold. I guess it's, it's game vision. If you're this famous phrase of two, three passes ahead, you can, you can judge when a set off your run. Tim Cahill had it. Lampard had it. Undoubtedly had it. Frank Lampard is a brilliant example because although he scored some of his goals from distance, that ability to arrive in a dangerous area, be supplied the ball and shoot, he's he's another good example. And Rakitic, without being as prolific, that's the category into which these guys fit. But to to put the brakes on that and say, I have a responsibility and sometimes I have a joint responsibility to hunt the ball, to close off certain positions, to support a full back if he makes an overlapping run. That takes football maturity, a good football brain and a sense of responsibility. And I think Rakitic has been rather underestimated for it. And there have been times this season, and understandably because I've been caught out by this, I'm not criticising, I've been caught out by 
not anticipating in early autumn that we would see anything like the quality of play that we've seen since early December from Football Club Barcelona. I, I really didn't think that they had a fourth, fifth and <laughs> at the weekend in Sevilla, sixth gear on them. But there has been both media and fan criticism of Rakitic because his goal tally has gone down. And I think it's entirely, it's not just explicable, but it's, it's, it's necessary within the context of what he's being asked to do. Let, let me tell you now, he's played 32 games already this season. That's the same as he played in all of the league last season, four less than the season before. So his game, his game necessity for Football Club Barcelona is, is still very, very high. But because he's being asked to be much more defensively organised, to be more judicious about the forward run, his goal total has gone down to one in each of the premium three competitions. One in the league, one in the cup, and one in the Champions League, where, irrespective of his goal um, supply dropping, he's allowed um, Busquets occasionally to be more creative going forward. He's allowed Paulinho to go forward and link with Messi and score, I think it's eight or nine goals so far this season. But more importantly than that, and this is the, to me, this is the, the icing on the cake. When, let's take, um, just flick back to the Bernabeu, that I can run, I can run free. And we talked about the fact that when he goes past Modric, Kovacic makes a choice. Do I tackle and close Rakitic, which he should have done, or do I stick to Messi and I just stick to my task? That's what I've been told to do. I'll be efficient rather than effective. That was the dilemma for Kovacic and he got it wrong. So Rakitic runs, makes the goal, breaks the deadlock. Fabulous. Well done. Pat on the back, Croatian boy. But in um, the Benito Villamarin on Sunday night, when Barca win 5-0, scoreline that they've never recorded down there. His um, movement, he's deep. He's playing um, at left pivote with Busquets. He's deep. He receives the ball from Mumtiti, who's on for, for injured for Malin. He plays it immediately to Gomez. And as soon as he's given it to Gomez, Rakitic can see in front of him that the Betis line, as all game, is high. Now, all game, what's happened, it's been identical to... Anybody who watches La Liga football will remember that Girona presented Barcelona with a really, really difficult task. They man-marked Messi, put Maffeo, who's on loan from Manchester City, man-to-man, Catanacho-style man-to-man marking on Messi. And it very nearly worked, but they played a high line too. So the back four comes up, presses tight. The midfield is therefore allowed to go a little bit higher. There's a little bit, there's very little space between the back four and the midfield. So this creative one-touch passing is extremely difficult to do because there are bodies there, everybody's ready to pounce. And the ball over the top is the idea. Not long, but the ball into space. At which point it's, how good is your timing of the offside trap? How high is your goalkeeper willing to play? And on the game against Girona, Suarez had all the timing of a stopped watch. And I think he was called offside 372 times. Away at Betis, Barcelona are a completely different animal. And I go back to the moment, I guess 58, 59 minutes, when the game is broken. And Rakitic, having given the ball to Gomez, can see that the Portuguese's pass is going inside to Luis Suarez, who's... Despite being the number nine, the offside trap means that he's way back in his own centre circle um, in the Barca half, but Rakitic is running already. And as Gomez releases the ball to Suarez, Rakitic is gone. The um, Betis right back has pushed right up um, Francis. And for that reason, it's the young Pearl, the young prince of Betis football, Fabian, who both Real Madrid and Barcelona covet 
and who's got a big choice to make right now, aged only 21, because he is a flipping fantastic footballer. But he's left running, so he looks like the criminal. He, it's his fingerprints on the scene of the crime because he can't react quick enough. He's not as quick as Rakitic, and there's no fullback there to close off the run. Rakitic makes the run, ball over the top of Suarez. Rakitic goes through, right-footed the way he is, finishes nicely off his left foot, the game's broken. At which point, um, Polino comes on, he'll double up with Busquets in the pivoti role, Rakitic is freed on to the right, back to his normal creative attacking role. What does he do? He provides an absolutely phenomenal pinpoint, curving the, the spin on the ball, is what any golfer would ask for, assist for Rakitic. As Messi bursts forward, gives it to Rakitic, pardon me, Rakitic on the right, the ball into Suarez for the volley, to kill the game stone dead is beautiful. So he's played, um, you'd almost call it three positions because he, as he runs forward, it looks like he's the attacking left midfield. He's played a really good pivoti move um, position all night, cutting off passes, supporting Busquets, twinning with him. So there's a double brain in midfield for Barcelona. And as soon as he's freed from that duty, he produces an assist. To me, it, it's another way to explain the, the modus operandi of Ernesto Valverde because he has said we'll pack the midfield but we'll pack it with purpose it isn't sufficient to say let's just get let's, lots of bodies they all have different roles they're all functioning extremely well off one another they're making Barcelona very hard to break down and that midfield dominance is one of the reasons one of the reasons that Barcelona are extraordinary, I mean simply extraordinary, in the second half of matches. Time and time again, if you think back to the way in which the classical was broken, or if you look at the way in which last night's game was broken, there is an absolute pattern. And that is that in in Barcelona's second half this season, um, they've scored 40 times and conceded four. And it's an equivalent of 52 points. Because they've won 16 second halves and drawn four second halves. Now, their first half form is still the second best in Spain. But if you compare it to the figures I've just given you, in the first half of all the games in the Liga this season, Barca have scored 17 and conceded five. A 37-point return. Let me just read you the second half performance again. 40 goals scored, four conceded, and a 52-point gain in second halves. Managing energy, managing form, managing a squad into you know that killing zone that Pep Guardiola used to talk about, about March, early April. When you're knackered, when the international football has come back again, and when it's the final of the cup or the semi-final of the cup or it's the Champions League and the crucial stages in La Liga, that's when the wheat from the chaff is truly sorted. And to promise that this domination midfield will take Barcelona all the way to winning all the trophies at that crucial late March, mid-April stage that they've got to get to, they've got to convert form into finals. To guarantee that's going to be the case, it would be stupid. But in the midfield area, we're looking at the central reason that until now, every team needs to understand. If you don't put Barcelona away... In the first half, you're screwed. I mean, it's really exciting as we enter the, the kind of business end of the season, you know, with the Chelsea ties coming up probably three or four weeks' time. Um, I mean, Valverde is really the, the key to this whole story. And I'm really fascinated by this constant kind of 
not you wouldn't call it tinkering because that's a pejorative term but the way he just explores all these options and he must have quite a, a big palette now to choose from he just seems to be creating more and more solutions for himself pretty much everybody has been given an opportunity Vidal will go to Sevilla this week um, but he has been given his chances Delafeo started the season hot made mistakes has been put up for sale but was brought on against Betis down in the Benito Villamarín Paco Alcacer began the season without um, scoring boots on but was given his chance tirelessly because it was clear what a third forward was doing for Messi and Suarez until the point where Messi's affection for him and Messi's willingness to keep looking for him and keep trusting him uh, worked and, and Alcacer found his place and found his goal scoring touch before being injured. These are minor examples to back up what what your appreciation of him has been. But I think the if, you st- if we stand back right now and we try not to accord him genius status because it's neither what you are arguing nor it's what I'm arguing, he's done a really, really good job of appreciating what he's got in his squad. And what's more, he knows full well that, albeit that he's asking them to occasionally play in a 4-4-2, occasionally play in a 4-2-3-1 and sometimes move back to 4-3-3, he knows that without the player's attention to detail and goodwill these little uh, minor calibrations wouldn't be yielding the harvest that they are right now I think he's fully aware that this is a a player driven project and by, by that I mean when he came in, he didn't like some of the established habits. Luis Enrique was non-interventionist if Suarez, Neymar and Messi World was the last out to training and everybody had to wait for two, three, four, five minutes for them to come out laughing and joking together. They were the tridente, they were the guys who brought the pasta home, therefore there was a tiny bit of leeway. There's some laughing and joking between exercises as they moved between exercises. Valverde wanted everything speeded up and he wanted nobody traipsing out last. It's not suddenly ultra-disciplinarian and authoritarian, but it is, and has been from day one, sharper. He's just turned the screw a little bit and said, exercise is done more quickly, better intensity as we move between exercises, everybody out at the same time. There's been a sharpness added to it, and the players have liked it. He has said, he from the beginning he said, Neymar's gone, everybody thinks you're screwed, everybody thinks that he was the one that ran the team what do you think of that? And between them, the players have gone, we're not getting pushed down. Humiliated in the Super Cup Classicals, everybody talking about Neymar gone, we'll show them. It's, it's, it's the kind of thing, it's the kind of jag that the multi-trophy squad that Real Madrid didn't have. They needed something as a jag, as a little prick to their um, self-contentment to say, we don't believe in you. We don't think you can do it again. Uh, we think you've sold badly. Um, we think you're going to fail this year. They didn't have that. Barcelona did have that. And they are a spiky, pugnacious, sort of dirty dozen style group. And, and their attitude, their attention to detail, their intensity week in, week out is the key element of why Barcelona are so successful now, so hard to beat. And Valverde has managed that. I think he's judged it well. To go back to what your your phrase is about like his, his ability to pick the right tactics for each match. Yeah, the little touches, the little tactical touches he's making before and during games come from him reading his squad well and reading the opposition quite well. There'll be a week or a week or two where um, presumably he fails to do that. I don't think there's any question that we're trying to, we shouldn't try to build him up as superhuman 
or all-seeing. He wouldn't want that and it isn't fair. But in terms of very, very shrewd and a very good reader of matches during games, and also he's in, you know, a Camelot moment, isn't he, Martin? Because he's never had these resources at hand before. And some people will be swamped. Some people won't have the personality. Some people won't know what to do with so many resources. You put the wrong person in, in charge of a high-power driving machine and they'll go off the road. Not Valverde. He's known what to do with the right tactical spirit, the right uh, tactical intelligence, competitive spirit and ability that he's now got his dis- at his disposal for the first time. I think it's that marriage between his astuteness, his shrewdness, his, his years of experience and the, and the, sh- and the sheer... Ugly, we're gonna we're gonna show you all that dominates the Barca squad right now. That's been the the absolute key. Graham, it's always a pleasure. If you could mention to uh, Rakitic next time you're speaking to him that he should get a better haircut, then he might well be the complete midfielder. <laughs> He's certainly been watching Blade Runner recently. It's sponsored by Rutger Hauer, isn't it? If if ever he does an interview where he says, I've seen things that you can't imagine, as he's clinging on to Harrison Ford. We could actually, given editing techniques these days, we could put Rakitic straight in for Rutger Hoyer. And if anybody hasn't seen the original Blade Runner, director's cut. Please do. To get this month's exclusive Di Matteo big interview plus that Pep Guardiola documentary, it is time to become a socio. In doing so, you'll also unlock our entire archive of exclusive episodes, which include Rafa van der Vaart, Ledley King, Robbie Keane, Jermaine Defoe and Kevin Phillips. Think about the goals, the quality and the stories that that lot hold. The Big Interview costs much more to produce than every other football podcast on your feed. Why? It's mainly because I have to travel to every interview from Spain and my producers need to do so from Scotland. The adverts and sponsorship you hear barely cover costs. Should you become a socio, you'll be helping keep us on the road and help keep us delivering the interviews that you've all been enjoying since 2015. Sign up right now for just £2.99 per month and you'll be supporting the future of The Big Interview and helping us to continue producing entertaining independent content. Go right now to patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash Graham Hunter. Support us. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. <laughs> Attack ships on fire on the shoulder of Orion. I watched sea beams glitter in the dark near the Ten Hauser Gate. All those moments will be lost in time. Like tears. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.